I'm going to show you a photo on the screen. And this is genuinely one of the most frightening, scary photos, distressing photos that I have ever, ever seen. Here it is. It's a photo from the 1920s in the Portland area of America. A gathering of a church with the Ku Klux Klan. And it shocks us. How could this be? How could such evil be associated with the people of light? It's a shocking photo. But it reminds us of something really, really important in our list of practices. Something that we can be so familiar with that we quickly forget how important it is that we get a handle on the Bible and what it teaches us about our faith. In our world of communication and technology, where we are bombarded with information 24-7, making sure that we are disciples of Jesus more than disciples of the mood of our culture is a constant challenge for all of us. And that terrible photo reminds us what is at stake if we don't get a handle on what the Bible teaches about a whole host of issues. It reminds us of how what is at stake to make sure that we are influenced more by the life-changing, history-making, culture-defying message of biblical Christianity. The practice of study, studying the Bible, is so important. And so as we get into this, I want us to get a handle on something. Because I would imagine that in the room right now, as we mention the word study, some of us will have this response. (laughs) It seems so clinical, formal. Reminding us of school days that for some of us were not happy days. Study. Or maybe for others of us, something like this. Dull, dry, dusty, intellectual. Well, fortunately, we have an example for us in those words we've just read from the book of Acts of both why studying the scriptures is important and how actually it is far from dry, dull, or a destructive experience. Listen again to those words that we read. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. The message of Jesus is spreading like crazy across the known world. And Paul takes it to two different places, Thessalonica and a place called Berea. In Thessalonica, they cannot stand this message. So much so that they whip up a riot. And they refer to them as troublemakers, getting them kicked out of the city for what they're doing to the city for the message they're saying. But in contrast, Berea, 
Well, that's a much better experience for them, isn't it? They meet thoughtful people who examine the scriptures. Do you see how the people in Berea are described? Look at what it says. Of more noble character. The writer of this, Luke, is basically saying, follow what these guys did, not what they did in Thessalonica. Don't reject it out of hand because it affects you in some sort of way. Be like these guys in Berea of more noble character, weighing it all up. And that word examine literally means investigate or simply, if we want to live life well, let's get stuck into the Bible. That's what Luke might say to us today. And if we are followers of Jesus, it can be so easy to forget this, that we sort of take it, we know it, yes. But then we don't often get stuck in. Or we treat it as some sort of mystical book that we'll have on a shelf, and when we open it, we hear sort of angels singing. Or for others of us, we don't treat it like that in a sort of mystery way. For others of us, we just presume we know what it thinks, thinks about certain issues, so we don't even look at it. Or that's something that we've moved on from because of bad experiences in the past, whatever it may be. I love the quote that is in the booklets, the study guides, from a guy called George Muller. George Muller, in the kind of uh, turn of the 18th, 19th century, was involved in lots of orphanages. And he set up orphanages that saved over 10,000 people's lives, children's lives. And, and that's the kind of thing we want to be involved in, changing the world. What's his secret? This is what he said. I saw more clearly than ever that the first thing to be concerned about was not how I might serve the Lord but how I might be satisfied in the Lord. I saw that the most important thing I had to do was give myself to the reading of the word of God and to meditation on it. We want to transform our city to play our part as a church in Bourneville, in Mosley, in Kingsheath, Northfield, wherever it is. What's the secret? Well, George Muller would say, get stuck in to the Bible. So, six brief things this morning in their brief. <laughs> Six brief things about how the first followers of Jesus handled the Bible that are relevant for all of us today. And the first is very simply this. We're called to view the Bible the way Jesus does. It can be easy, can't it? That if we're followers of Jesus, to forget to kind of try and do the things Jesus did. <laughs> After all, we follow him, Christian, Christ. I love this thing. You may have seen it going around in Twitter. Uh, no, I'm not talking about Twitter. I literally want you to follow me. <laughs> if we call ourselves a Christian, it stands to reason we should try and live like Jesus. Try and do the things Jesus did. Try and follow what he thought about things. And so therefore, what does it look like when it comes to the Bible? This is what Jesus said. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything's accomplished. According to Jesus, the Bible, what he refers to as the law, is that important, is that unchangeable, that if we think the Bible somehow no longer applies, 
or that we've kind of moved on from that. Well, you're entitled to have that view, but that's not the view of Jesus. It's a bold person to say, I'm a follower of Jesus and disagree with Jesus or think that we've got a better handle on the Bible than Jesus did. Or listen to what Jesus said in discussion with some religious leaders of the day. They're discussing about divorce. But look at what he said. Jesus says this, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two but one flesh. Do you see what Jesus doesn't say? He doesn't say... Do you notice what the writer of Genesis says? He doesn't say, you know what our tradition thinks about these things. He says that at the beginning the creator said. Jesus very simply (laughs) thinks the Bible, particularly the words of the Old Testament here, are what God says. (laughs) Now again, we can disagree, but if we want to say we're followers of Jesus... It's probably a sensible thing to try and have the same view of the Bible as Jesus does. Jesus would agree with Paul's words in the New Testament where we read this. From infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. All scripture. Now I know that some of us are asking, ah, Jesus just had the Old Testament. We'll come back to that in a minute. Hold that. That's a great question. Hold that. We'll come back to it in a moment. But do you get the point? Jesus is basically saying, we can't be like this guy. You heard the illustration about a, a drunk guy using the lamppost more for support than illumination. <laughs> Many of us use the Bible in the same way. To back up what we think, rather than actually illuminating the path. Don't be like that guy on the screen, Jesus would say. The reality is, this is a massive challenge for all of us. Because we all have a tendency, depending on our life stage and all this, to not do this in two ways. Firstly, we might add to the Bible. I've preached in a church where the floor of the church was sloped. And it was built like that so that it, quotes, could never be turned into a dance hall. Now, I've seen some people's dancing. It may be fair that some of us shouldn't be dancing. Granted. (laughs) But actually, the idea that somehow dancing isn't what Christians should do, which the original founders of that church would have thought back 100 years ago, whatever it is, they would have made that some sort of extra-biblical thing. Is that what the Bible says? No. There may be wisdom on certain things, but we can easily have a tendency to add things to the Bible and make them as valid, as authoritative as the Bible. That's not Jesus' view. But, of course, the other way is we also can have a tendency to take away from the Bible, to dismiss certain bits. So that phrase, I remember Claire and I, uh, when we got married, we were discussing what vows, what words to use in our vows. And there's a bit in the New Testament where it talks about submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We all love that bit. 
when it's about someone else submitting to what we want. We kind of move away from that bit when we have to submit to other people. We can easily add to it or take away depending on what's going on in life. We all do this, but we're called to have the same view of the Bible as Jesus does. We're followers of Jesus. Which leads us then to the question, great, but what is the Bible? What does it mean to say all Scripture? What is the Scriptures? Is it just the Old Testament? Well, let's move on, because the second thing we're called to do is this. We're not only called to have the same view of the Bible as Jesus, but we're called to have the same view of the Bible the way the Bible views itself. Let me illustrate Some people think that the Old Testament no longer applies. Or some people think that the kind of New Testament is not as valid as the Old Testament. Well, listen again to what the Bible says. So these are some words. It's Peter's second letter. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets. Old Testament stuff. And the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Peter's both pointing to the Old Testament and to the accounts of Jesus and saying they're important. But then he goes on. Listen to these words, astonishing words. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Hallelujah! How many love that bit? Yes, finally. They're quite tricky, some bits. But then listen to this. Which ignorant and unstable people distort... As they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Do you notice that? Already the earliest Christians were taking the accounts of Jesus' life and the letters from the apostles as scripture. You can disagree, but that's what the Bible says. And that's how Christians throughout history have done it. All scripture, Old and New Testament. And the reality is that our view on this probably says more about us than it does about the Bible. You've heard the illustration of the man visiting the Louvre Art Gallery in Paris. And standing in front of the Mona Lisa examining it from several angles, squinting his eye a little bit, and then turning to the security guard next to it and saying, I don't like it. And the security guard replies, Sir, these paintings are no longer being judged. The viewers are. Often our view of the Bible says more about us than it does the Bible and how people throughout history and in the Bible have viewed it. So, have the same view of the Bible as Jesus, have the same view of the Bible as the Bible, but there's something even more interesting. Is this, our calling to view Jesus the way the Bible does. 
What's interesting about the Bible is what it's about. Now, I remember years ago when Noah, our son, began to be interested in, in kind of binoculars. Do you remember that kind of stage and sort of playing at different ends and you kind of look both ways? And what's interesting, when you look one way, everything's close. You look the other way, everything's a million miles away. It changes. You're looking exactly the same thing, but the lens in which you use changes your perspective on it. Listen then to what is said in the Bible about Jesus. Listen to these words. This is Jesus after he's come back to life on the road to Emmaus, talking with some people who are astonished that there's talk of him being alive, but they don't know they're talking with Jesus. And this is what Jesus, this is what we read. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Or in John chapter 5, if you believed Moses, you would believe me. Why? For he wrote about me. Or in the book of Acts, we read these words, that I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Do you see... The Bible is all about Jesus, both the Old and the New Testament, not about us. And I think this changes everything in three ways. Here's the first. Jesus is the Savior, not you. Here's the second. Jesus is the Savior, not you. And here's the third thing. Jesus is the Savior, not you. The Bible is not about you. Let me illustrate. I remember growing up in church and having the idea that somehow the kind of people in the Old Testament were kind of heroes to emulate. And so we like the certain bits like Moses when he's brave enough to step out. But then we get to the bits where he murders people. Oh, don't like that bit. And we tie ourselves in knots because we presume this is stuff we're meant to emulate. Let me give you an example. We all know the story of David and Goliath. It's both ancient and contemporary. You may have seen this book a couple of years ago. Malcolm Gladwell, David and Goliath, with this tagline, Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants. There's contemporary art on the basis of, I love this, I find it quite moving, that particular photo, photo, picture. But the version that we so often hear today is this. There's a giant, Goliath, and we're called to be like David and overcome the giants in our lives. Whatever the giant may be, whether it's how you view yourself or the giants that are kind of battling against your career or your relationships, overcome the giants. Who's the savior in that? Me, you. And so for those of us who can't do it, what does that do? Crushes. Whereas view this story through the lens of Jesus, what's the point? 
The point is the people couldn't defeat the giant. So they needed God to send a rescuer in their stead to defeat the giant for them. That changes everything. Because you and I both know there are people within our community who are facing giants that they cannot beat. And all the messages about be strong enough, have a positive mental attitude, faces more and more burden. What they need is a God who can step in on their behalf. A God who can heal. Or a God who can overcome death. Friends, this is good news. You're not the saviour. Jesus is. Rescuing us from ourselves and from the giants that war against us. It's not about you, friends. That is immensely freeing. It's good news. So, view the Bible the way Jesus does. View the Bible the way the Bible does. View Jesus the way the Bible does. The fourth thing leading from that is this. Don't, therefore, let our eagerness mislead us. There are things that we all want to be true. I remember when I was growing up in church, I was part of a youth group. And in our youth group, there was a girl called Joy. We liked Joy. All the boys in the youth group, when they read in the Psalms, you shall go out with Joy. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's a Bible verse I'm putting on my fridge. And the reality is, we can easily do that with lots of things. So we read where it talks about God working for good for those who love him and presume what that means is I'll get what I want in life rather than actually what it says. And do you notice what happened to the Bereans? They received the message with great eagerness and that eagerness led them to do what? To examine the scriptures every day. So let our eagerness lead us to the Bible, not to just take bits out to endorse our eagerness. Check it out. And here's the fifth thing. Beyond that, remember then, as we're looking in the Bible, remember the lasting impact of it. The response of all this is quite incredible. Verse 12. As a result of this, many believed as did a number of prominent Greek men and Greek women. The impact of this eagerness and this examining against the Bible led to utter transformation. Now you'll know that we've been toying with this phrase recently. You've been hearing it around Riverside. We'll continue to hear it about where we want to go as we step forward into what God might have in store for us. To be a church that reflects and transforms Birmingham because people belong to thriving communities in which they get to know Jesus. How do we know what transforming Birmingham looks like? What do we mean by reflecting Birmingham? What does a thriving community look like? What is belonging? We only know that as we grapple with this. How do we know what good to celebrate in our city or what's broken that needs fixing? We know it as we get stuck in to the Bible that points to the transformation that we all need. Let me give an example of this. 
few years ago in a different church, uh, I uh, was speaking about the good news of Jesus, as you do. <laughs> and this woman who was part of our church and been part of the church for decades, at the end was in bits, floods of tears. But these were not heavy floods of tears. These were liberating floods of tears. Because she had been a follower of Jesus for many years. She was trying to do her best as a wife, as a mum, trying to grapple a career, trying to navigate it all, and frankly, constantly feeling that she was getting stuff wrong. She couldn't do enough. She was an utter failure. And then she read these words from the Bible. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Here was somebody who felt a failure because she wasn't doing enough. There was always things that she could do better. And then she realized because of grappling with the Bible that salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ. Everything was different for that day forwards for that woman. And there may be people here that it's only as we hear the words of the Bible and what God says that burdens begin to lift. Otherwise, it's just about what we feel. In any given day, moods might shift and change. But as we grapple with the scriptures, we realize this is good news. This changes everything. And so Bible study is so important for our own well-being as well as what it looks like to follow Jesus. And there's another reason for that. And it's this. We've all seen horrific examples of people who claim to follow Jesus and using sort of grenades to lob at people that differ from them on a certain things. It's only as we begin to grapple with the Bible and we see that it's all about Jesus and then we see that all Jesus has done on the cross where he took the hit for all of us, where he, God's wrath was poured out on him, only when we grasp that do we see how on earth can we have this kind of reaction. How on earth can we lob grenades of judgment against other people when Jesus took the judgment? But it's only as we grapple with the Bible do we realize that. That we realize that actually, friends, we're all brothers and sisters, broken sinners in need of a savior. And Jesus took the hit for us. Studying the Bible is good news for all of us, friends. So that's five things. And then there's the sixth as we come to a close. And it's this. It's the one we wish was not true. <laughs> As we approach and get stuck into the Bible, we should expect it to be hard. Remember what was said about Paul's words? Some bits are pretty tricky to understand. It reminds me of that Mark Twain quote. It's not the bits of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the bits I do. <laughs> Look at the response to these Bereans. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowd, stirring them up. This kind of careful examination, this kind of getting stuck into the Bible and doing all we can to follow what that looks like with eagerness trying to follow Jesus is tricky for our culture, is tricky for our lives, is tricky for our brains. It's always been hard. It always will be. 
But friends, it is so worth it. Because herein we begin to see that all scripture is God-breathed. And through it, we get to see the salvation of Christ Jesus.